0: To say that the podcast or your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer.
1: Serving size one episode.
0: That's right. Sodium levels surprisingly high. <laughs> Joining us all the way from Rochester, Tennessee is Lee Younger.
2: <laughs> I was gonna say something about fries, but you already mentioned the sodium, so I'll back off that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Serving size, we could do the uh, the trick, and you know it's all healthy. The serving size is one fifth of an episode. But <laughs> the old Brian Regan bit. You ever look in the size? of The Fig Newton package serving size: two cookies. I mean these things by the that's sleeve. A... <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I mean we we could do a super size episode if the if the people would get on that sweet sweet Patreon. That's, well, that's true. Right.
0: And by get on it, we mean create a Patreon in our name, market it, and get people to sign up, please, because we're not doing any of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. We're,
0: a little, we're all on the older side. We've all uh, set up our fair share of harebrained internet schemes at this point. Uh, it's just, we don't have one more in us. But if someone wants to do that in our name, um, <laughs> it will either be thankful or, uh, or we will sue you if it goes not well. But, you know, that's the fun. Good point. The difference between identity theft and uh, fandom and support is the amount of money it makes. I think totally. we're very fair in saying that. So not only do we that have these sense. kind of life tips for you, we have a great episode lined up with your fantastic questions, but speaking not being <laughs> somewhat of what could be a, uh, a good or bad harebrained scheme. I'm forced to declare once more, a cinematic emergency. What? Oh no. Cinematic. A sequel emergency and not the normal kind where you go to uh, look at what's playing at your local megaplex. And they are literally all sequels, not the kind where you go. I didn't even know they made a a second Animal Man. There's a fourth one out now. I have so much to catch up <laughs> on. This is a sequel emergency. I read from uh, no less a source than ScreenGeek.net, which I assume Ooh. is some sort of newspaper and record based in Paris. Uh, the headline reads: "The Passion of the Christ sequel reportedly begins filming this spring." Oh no! Wow. So, okay. you can't say they didn't take their time with it.
1: The Passion of the Christ was released in 2004. <laughs> well, they're not rushing things, so we can certainly appreciate that.
2: That is that is entirely true. Um, it's a good thing the resurrection didn't take that long. <laughs> <laughs> they,
0: they wanted to give it time to cook. You didn't want to jump out too early. Yeah,
1: I mean, the script's already there. I don't know what was taking sure. so long. Do, do I gotta ask, man, do, do we know, like, in the sequel where the story picks back up? Because I'm fascinated to know.
0: Well, we do have a hint in the, apparently the working subtitle is
2: Passion of the Christ, Resurrection. Okay. Okay. Now, I would... I, I mean, it was 2004. Did he not rise from the dead in the first one?
0: No, I think it ends on, like, the... I I was I saw it the one time and that was one too many. But I think it ends on like the the funeral garments being late, being flat, and like it's an implied okay. resurrection, but it doesn't actually show him. Right. I would really like there are a number of kind of bait and switches they could do. I would like if it was Passion of the Christ too, the resurrection. And the whole thing is just kind of Paul idly writing a letter for 90 minutes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome.
0: Like there's five minutes spent on the the resurrection and the rest of it is on the catch of fish. They just do that in real time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so so here's another one. I, I would really delight me is... All right, so one of the stories, you know, post-resurrection, right, is is the reunion between Jesus and Peter, and, you know, part of the story is that Jesus is literally cooking them breakfast, right? Like, they get back from, a right. you know, long night of fishing not going very well, and he's there cooking breakfast. And I would love if it's basically just a cooking show, like, is Jesus <laughs> walking people very thoroughly through what he's cooking and why, all the techniques, the whole thing. Look, fellas. Yeah, exactly. This is halibut three ways. <laughs> Now, look, I'm going to make a nice fish porridge. It's not a typical breakfast dish, but I think in this context, it's going to work really well. Let me walk you through some substitutions that might work in your kitchen. Like, this would be great. Like, out and brown is Jesus in Passion of the Christ 2. I'm just putting it out there.
0: They cut away to do wow. the like the gear review part of it. It's like, now I'm using yeah. a non-stick coated pan. We have some other options that we tried out in our <laughs> test kitchen. Let's go to that now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, okay. And could you resist if we were going to do this, right? Like Alton Jesus is cooking. and He's like, okay, so typically here, I think we need a little zing of some rice wine vinegar. I don't seem to have any. All I have is this cup of water. Or do I? Uh-huh. And then he points his finger at it, and now it's rice wine vinegar. I mean, like, dude, it's right there.
0: <laughs> okay, so you're pitching kind of a combination cooking show, but also like nineties Nickelodeon children's based television. we kind of a blues yeah. clues deal of like, well, we wanted to have fish wow. for lunch, but we're not catching anything. Why don't you guys try the other side of the boat?
3: <laughs> this is <laughs> That'll exactly never work.
1: just trust me. <laughs> Did I, I would, if, if out in Brown is Jesus cooking breakfast, man, I'm watching that movie. I'm just putting it out there.
0: So you're pitching more of a 28 sequel series where they just kind of do two hours on every minute detail from John 25.
1: Yes. Yes. You've got it exactly right. It's, it's good
2: eats resurrection edition. <laughs> and, and he's going to be breaking down the, the, he's going to be like Alton. Jesus is breaking down the chemistry behind all the, you know, the transmutations <laughs> that happen with the ingredients when, you know, certain degrees of temperature are added at this way, you know? <laughs> yes. He you broke the bonds of sin and blandness. <laughs> but because, but because, it, but because it's Jesus, he not only breaks down the chemistry, he explains how he thought of those chemical reactions in the first place when he was inventing the world.
1: This is brilliant. Who wouldn't want that?
2: <laughs> now, before we we
0: did put a nice sear on this piece of fish, now we're going to transfer it from the oven. We're going to transfer it from the cooktop into the oven. You're going to have to give the temperature, turn the temperature up again. I guess you could say you might rise again. And then we go,
2: (laughs) wow.
1: Three minutes later, we're going to pull that out. (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) I know Mel Gibson's not going to do anything like that, but that's my new happy place. This is, this is what I need in my life. I do like the idea of it being kind
0: of a history of the world. Part one, the old Mel Brooks movie, or like kind of a, an old Bob Hope Bing Crosby movie where it's just a weird pastiche of a bunch of like, Kind of short sketches.
1: Right, right, right.
0: There's kind of the Chariots yeah. of Fire sketch with John and Peter running. Yeah. And then, you know, them not believing the women. Thomas. I, I think the Doubting Thomas scene can be played for some serious comedy. And kind of yeah. that, that way, 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 way too glib kind of Marvel Star Wars wars they played they've gotten. Where it's like, I won't believe until I put my hand in the, he's right behind me, isn't he?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is amazing. One of those, I think, you know, and you could do a full movie, it might be better just as kind of, you know, the, one of the, the little sub-episodes, right, is if we, so there's a number of things that the, the Gospels record after Jesus re- resurrected that are, I mean, pretty, pretty magical in a sense, right? Like, you know, and suddenly Jesus was there amongst them, right? You know, and, and there's a fair amount of stuff like that. So what I'm reminded of is Chris Angel, mind freak. And like if we could have that Chris Angel mind freak vibe, right? And like the cameras, you know, jutting around and there's like heavy metal music. And like it doesn't even have to be Jesus wow. kind of, you know, saying mind freak, but like if we could have like recast one of the disciples to basically be Chris Angel, and so like you know, and suddenly Jesus was there in their midst and the camera whirls around, and I guess like mind freak. Like that would be amazing, <laughs> dude. That would be awesome. It's like the resurrection brought to you by Mountain Dew. I guess that's really the thing that I'm saying.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. It's a panning shot of all of their kind of astonished faces and they're in a very kind of naturally lit and they're wearing period appropriate garbs. And then it gets to James the Lesser, who's wearing leather pants and spiked hair for no reason. (laughs) Just keep saying mind freak. Yeah, you got it. You've got it. Well, one thing about it that we, th- we don't know much about it, but we do know that apparently we're returning director Mel Gibson, which, yeah, he's working on it with uh, his Braveheart screenwriter, Randall Wallace. So ah. you, if you think, dear listener, that any of the things we have pitched are too out there and inaccurate to the text to be used, um, revisit Braveheart.
2: Yeah, because he doesn't care about that. Yeah, yeah. good movie,
0: lots <laughs> going on. Passing, uh, very, very passing, tenuous connection to any historical events. If you'll allow me, yes. both a Scottish <laughs> nerd moment and a history nerd moment, it's called the Battle of Stirling Bridge. And they just huh. had it in a field
2: because bridges are complicated. I don't remember a bridge in that scene, man. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and also returning, uh, Jim caviezel to play the role of Jesus. I'm not sure if either of you are aware of this. But there has been some interesting developments in the interim, what are we looking at here, 19 years between these films uh, for actor Jim Caviezel, uh, in in that he apparently has gone completely insane. Ah! Oh. Well, that's nice. There have been articles and uh, full podcasts done about just the insanity of this dude, who apparently um, goes around telling people that he works with special operations troops to do uh, rescues of human trafficking victims. Not a thing. Oh, Uh, he, he was on a television show for a long time called person of interest, which is like a, it's one of those shows. If you watch a sporting event on CBS, they show like 8,000 commercials for it. And you're like, kind of sure this might be a joke, but then you hear your, your aunt talk about it at, uh, at Christmas. You're like, Oh, I guess that's a real TV show. How about that? Oh, they've done nine (laughs) seasons. Interesting. And apparently he injured so many people because he insisted on doing the driving on the set that they had like serious meetings about it. What? Wow. And here's, here's a quote from someone who I believe worked with him on that show, but somebody worked with him on a project, uh, working with Jimmy Fiesel. quote, it's like having a puppy. No, you can't chew on that. No, you can't chew on that. No, you can't chew on that. Except the puppy talks about Hitler all the time.
2: Oh, wow.
1: that's a real quote.
2: <laughs> that's, Really something. That
1: that really took a turn there at the end. Like it was funny, funny. Oh, that's not great. Yes. Much like
0: everything involved in the first Passion of the Christ movie. It started off like, oh, that's the actor and the director. And this is the, oh, that's, well, (laughs) (laughs) I, I I assume we all saw it. I saw the Passion of the Christ in the theater as one of those things of about, you know, at the end, you're like, well, they certainly wanted me to feel something. And they went at it pretty hard. Well, that's yeah, that's fine. That's what movies are for. One fun thing is because of the the business model of that movie, they really needed every kind of church and Christian group and whatever. A big part of the business model was marketing directly to those groups, so they would buy group tickets and buy out showings, and that was a, a big part of it. One of them is a that they tried to reach out to is a group that Lee and I, Lee more than I, over the years done a whole lot of work with called Young Life. A great thing, but I do remember being. I think I was somewhere in West Knoxville at a Young Life event, and they rolled in a. a they were doing, you know, they had the PowerPoint or whatever, and they show, were going to show a video clip, and it was Mel Gibson uh, talking to the camera. And he clearly, two things were clear: he had done a hundred of these today, and he had no okay. idea what Young Life was. It was cool. like <laughs> it, it had all the authenticity and warmth of a Troy McClure clip, where like they cut in something. <laughs> it was like, wow, hey there looks off camera young life. We're very excited about the great work you do and hope you enjoy the movie and come out and support it.
3: And then you could just like see them rolling the teleprompter to the next one. Just
0: that's unbelievable. dude. So again, in things that get a little bit darker. So we know that that's the business model of this movie. And we know what the church environment in this country is like. There's a decent chance Jesus uses like an AR-15 in this movie, isn't there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah.
0: Like the women are the first at the tomb, but they just cut it so that there's a guy who gets there first. They just don't mention him. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, I love this. I think this is a real opportunity. The women are running to the tomb, and they're almost there when a dude in, you know, like, a custom Hellcat, like, <laughs> races up, throws the emergency brake, and, like, spins into it, gets out, put on his shades, and then it just goes, Passion of the Christ 2, 2 raised, 2 risen. Like, this is the movie. This is what American churches want.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be too raised to
1: risen.
2: Yeah, no, that was, that was, that was one swing and you hit the title of the episode immediately. Yeah. I'm marking that one
0: down. Um, so (laughs) once again, we've taken a tour from, Oh, here's a, here's a cute thing to Oh, this is horrible to Oh no. We've made sad, almost certain predictions about the future. (laughs) So it'll be fun to track that into 2023. And with that, we will declare emergency off. We're going to move on to your fine questions. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this or you can scroll down to your episode description. Click one of the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I've been thinking about the idea of bearing fruit. It seems like it's kind of just a Christian way to say, be busy and accomplish a lot. Am I missing something with what this is? And I think that's, it's an interesting question. I think it's really cool because, especially you know, we talked a lot about some New Year stuff in the last couple of weeks, and things were on people's minds. As they were on the New Year, and one of the things you hear from a lot of corners of, be it people giving you advice, people on the internet. I think you hear this in the in the church a lot, which is good advice. Is you know, New Year's a time to really think about if you're getting enough rest and your schedule and structuring things, and you know, avoiding burnout and all that stuff. And it's great because we're all feeling that a little frayed at the end of the year. But then you can also combine that with, but it's also important to bear fruit, which is different than being busy because it's a churchy language way to say that. And we want you to get your rest <laughs> and think of your schedule and self-care, but also, and people are not, we don't have enough volunteers for this and this and this and this yet. So here we go. Um. But I do think it can be used in that way. I think a question asker makes an astute observation there, but, and Lee, I'd love to get you to start us off here. I think this is one of those things, we talked about this a little bit last week where Yes, there is a cliche going on here. But that doesn't mean every use of this term and this concept is a cliche that we need to skip over. So where do we start with it?
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting question and I think you're right, Matt. I think that it's it's very possible that for some folks in church culture this is a thing that's been used to you know, I mean, in the best in the best terms to motivate and in the worst terms to guiltify people into showing up for stuff or, or doing the heavy lifting and things. For me, when I look at the scriptures and when, when the Lord actually talks about bearing fruit, for so many instances in, in that book, bearing fruit has a whole lot more to do with something that God wants to do in you and something that, something that God is up to growing in your life that, yes, you're a participant in that process— but it's not about you getting busy and being disciplined and, and having a bunch of willpower and, and making a bunch of changes or anything like that. It has a whole lot more to do with you being a person that says, I am up for this relationship with God, and I am open to what God wants to do in my life and what God wants to change in my life. And Lord, I know that you know the changes I need to make, and I'd love to be a part of that process so get to work in me. There's a place where Jesus says to his guys, and it was the last night that he was with them before he went to the cross, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Anybody that remains in me bears much fruit. Now, what he told them to do was, I want you to stick with me. I want you to stay. That's what that word remain in me means it's just a word that means stay i want us to stay connected i want us to stay in relationship in conversation stick with me it's like it's like a way of saying uh <laughs> my mind instantly went to the old like uh bugs bunny cartoons with the character foghorn leghorn like the stick with me kid like it's like look stick with me kid and then things are going to grow in your life energy and power and change is going to flow into your life through me. That's actually a pretty passive process. The, the bearing fruit part is not something that you you have to figure it all out, and you have to get to work, and you have to show up for the grind, and that kind of stuff. It's not, it's not any of that kind of thing. It's, it's much more a process of I'm going to stick to the Lord in this relationship that I've signed up for. I'm going to be a part of that, and then He's going to grow some things in me. Um, that's a whole different perspective. It's a whole different perspective than maybe church leaders or, or somebody that's running a ministry that needs some volunteers to show up might say, hey, you need to bear fruit. Well, the, the fruit-bearing process is, scripturally, is, is something that the Lord is a whole lot more active in, and my job is just to stay connected to Him and let that energy flow into me. All, all of that is really, really churchy language. And I think the place that it practically breaks down to is, are there things in your life that the Lord wants to move in a different direction and change as you walk into this next season or into this next year? Absolutely. But that process may look a whole lot less more like you getting busy and just filling your life with things, and it may look a whole lot more like you opening yourself up to staying in a relationship with him and staying in a conversation with him and letting him uh, promote and make some of those changes as he works with you.
0: I know. It's a wonderful place to start this off. Excellent stuff all around there. And Jed, where would we take it from there?
1: Love everything Lee said for sure. And I think that this is definitely one of those things where the concept of bearing fruit does come up in the Bible, and it comes up in a few different places. But as is so often the case, I think that there's a lot of well-intentioned Christians and Christian teachers who have a way of kind of taking Jesus's phrases and using them in contexts that don't really have anything to do with where they were originally used, right? <laughs> so like, again, Jesus brings up the idea of, of fruit a few times, but here's one of the more famous ones, and I'm going to give you a little bit more context than you normally get, because it's really interesting what he's talking about. This so I am in Matthew 7, and I'm starting with verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree, um, so we we go ahead and pause there. So Jesus is talking about how to figure out if religious leaders are legitimate or not. That's that's mm-hmm. actually the context of of what's going on here. This is not commentary on personal productivity. Like in, right. in in any way shape or form. We could argue whether other sections of the Bible pertain to that, but this one super does not. This is probably the most famous uh, uh, thing Jesus said pertaining to bearing fruit, and it is it is not in any way about your productivity. It it is about how you as a human being can figure out if a religious leader is legitimate or not. With that said, I think here's an interesting thing is you do bear fruit. And I can say that confidently Mm. because literally everyone does. Like you impact the world by being in it. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. But like, dude, you have an impact. Like if you work, you impact your workplace. If you go to school, you impact your classroom. If you Unless you live, you know, uh, on a deserted island with no one else there, in which case you are still impacting the hermit crabs like it is not possible to live on planet Earth and impact nothing in any way. The question is, what kind of impact are you having? What what kind of fruit are we bearing? The idea of like you would bear no fruit is just that's that's not really possible here on, on planet Earth. So like here's just as a thought experiment. One of the things that Paul does pretty frequently is he has these lists of virtues and vices. And he's generally trying to make a, a broader point, but like, let's—I'm just going to real quick, I'm going to read one list of virtues and then one list of vices, and I've got a question for you to consider. So here's the virtues first. This is from Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, okay? Okay. Now, this is also Paul's from 2 Timothy 3. Um, Here's a list of vices. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. All right, let's pause. We've got these two lists. One is stuff that's generally very, very good, and the other is stuff that's generally very, very bad. One thing that we can look at is we can – let's go through the good list for a second and say, for example, kindness. Do I inject kindness into situations? Is one of my impacts in the world bringing a little bit more kindness to bear in the situations that I find myself in, whether that's the workplace or the classroom or my home or the hermit crabs on the deserted island? Because they also deserve kindness. But do, do I bring kindness into situations? here's the great news. This is not a guilt trip. If you don't, you can work on that. Like one of the things that you can do in this new year is you can say, I don't know that I am a person that injects kindness in anything, but I'd like to figure out how to bear more of that kind of fruit. I would like to, to do more in that. Because one thing that gardeners and farmers will tell you is, um, dude, you can help a tree fruit uh, more effectively. Like, uh, that's, that's a science, baby. We can work on that. Similarly, let's look at that list of vices for a second. Like, one of them is um, rash. That was one of the, the things on that list. As you think through your life, are you a person who acts rashly? Is that a thing? In the situations in which you find yourself, do you contribute to rash decisions being made? Again, it's not a guilt trip. If you are, you can look at that and say, you know what? I want to be less like that. I want to start figuring out how to move in the direction of the person who um, brings more patience and more forbearance into situations and and helps push them in that direction. You can absolutely decide you want to move in that direction. You can ask the Lord to help you grow into a person who is more kind and less rash. You can absolutely do that. Again, like there's an awful lot of farmers out there figuring out how do we make this uh, grapevine uh, give us better grapes. Like, it's uh, m- modern farming is not about. Well, we'll plant it. We'll hope it works out. You know, we're we're really trying to coax this as hard as we possibly can. The idea that basically God is looking for you to be a worker bee and uh, just do a lot of stuff—that's that's not really what any of this is about. You may have a pastor who's really hard up for volunteers that's trying to insinuate that that's what's going on, but that's that's a separate problem. But you absolutely can. Take a look at the situations that you impact and ask, how do I want to tweak the impact that I have? What kind of fruit do I want to bear more of? What kind of fruit do I want to bear less of? And that's not advice for screw ups. That's advice for anyone. If you want to bear good fruit, then you're going to have to be intentional. Very few of us bear really good fruit by accident. Almost all the time. If you're bearing good fruit in a situation, it's because on some level, you've decided to be intentional about bearing that kind of fruit. If you haven't done that before, you can start doing that now. You can learn how to do that. It's a skill. You can get better at it. God wants to give you the strength and the courage and the wisdom to do that. So let's do two things. Let's lose the guilt because the guilt isn't helping anything. And let's embrace the idea that you can intentionally decide the kind of impacts you want to have and start having more of them.
0: That's all extremely well put. And I also now, can I get out of my mind the idea of a very churchy farmer just going out to his, you know, his apricot field and being like, you know, maybe if you guys were a little more committed, (laughs) it's just, you know, I put, I put out the sign up sheet every Sunday who wants to bear (laughs) some fruit and just, it's the same two names on it all the time. I just feel like we're missing an opportunity to be blessed ourselves. Uh, all, all great stuff from these guys. One, one thing I would add in this to, to this idea of, of fruit bearing. I think it's, it's a little further out because it's not exactly in the passages that Jesus talks about bearing fruit in the way we've talked about here, but I think it, it applies. Um, I'm thinking of it in, in first Colossians where Paul talks about how uh, the one who plants is nothing. The one who waters is nothing, but God who makes things grow. And those other things about that fruit analogy, that growing analogy, which come, does come up a lot in scripture, which is to Jed's point there, you can do coaxing, you can, can you know till the soil and water things correctly, but at the end of the day, you can't make something grow. Yeah. And I think that's important in this voice in looking at what is setting a goal and accomplishing it, what is, you know, setting some intentions for my year or my week or whatever, versus bearing fruit. In general, I would say bearing fruit is going to have a little more of a mysterious element to it. It's going to have a little more of If you can just make the plan, write the checklist, check it all off, and do the thing, that's good. It's it's good to accomplish things. It's good to to make progress on things. I don't know that that always rises to the to the level of bearing fruit. Because where Lee started us, that is something that is God's work. It's happening in our lives. It's happening. We get to be involved in it. But if we're looking for, am I just getting busy? Is someone pitching me bearing fruit? They're just pitching me a list of busy work. I think that might be a useful compass to kind of use. So they look into have me do my checklist, which could be fine. You know, the the, the children's church needs volunteers. If they, you feel like that's something you, you would get something out of, or just a way you can help out and you have the time and the energy. Great. But I think the, the bearing fruit is you, you do the children's. You don't think you can do the children's church because you're not good with kids, but you give it a shot because they need some help and you find you really like it. And you, Maybe you were the quiet kid and you connect with a quiet kid and then you really get something out of it. Now we've borne some fruit. It doesn't happen every time. And something doesn't have to have that connection to make it worthwhile doing, volunteering, helping out. That can be a good thing if you have the capacity for it. But we're looking for bearing fruit. I think we're looking for that kind of little bit of serendipity and a catastrophe that's spontaneous that's happening that's a little beyond what we can control when we're looking for bearing fruit. Without, that, we move on to our next question. It comes in and says, A famous pastor recently said online that the most important thing a Christian can do is read the the whole Bible repeatedly. Honestly, I get a little tired of the Bible sometimes. Is that okay? Yes, a, uh, a prominent gentleman, uh, let's call him T. Keller. That's a little bit obvious. Tim K. Uh, put out that the most important thing a Christian can do is reread the Bible every year. And, uh, I mean, maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. I'm not, you know, I don't. I'm not a pastor. I don't, you know, I'm not looking to compete with Tim Keller, but also I can tell you this. I don't have any Bible commentaries on the market. So I think he might, (laughs) and maybe that, maybe it's a bit tough to, you know, I'm sure Julia Child thinks the most important thing you can do for your life is cook all the way through a French cookbook every year. Yeah. I'm just saying people have, uh, people have interests and uh, ideas that they are Uh, commenting on, but I really like the honesty in this question. And we've talked before on the show about kind of the fetishization for lack of a better term of the Bible and just, you know, getting in that. And that is in the history of Christianity, that's pretty new for a number of reasons, reasons like literacy and printing and the Bible being in languages (laughs) other than Greek and Latin and uh, being affordable and you having one in your house. So Lee, with kind of all that as a little bit of a jumping off point, where do we start to pick away at this idea that maybe that's the most important thing?
2: Well, one of the humongous problems with that statement, and like you said, this is a this is a pastor from all accounts, you know, it's like you know he he hasn't made a giant mess of Christianity in the way other people <laughs> have. Um, but one of the problems with a statement like this, the most important thing you can do is reread the Bible every year, is that you run into this this statement that Jesus says in the Bible, in John chapter 5, where he says to a bunch of guys who were super upset with him, he said, your problem is you study the Scriptures, and you study the Scriptures, and you're hoping to find life there, but the Scriptures talk about me, and you won't come to me the spring of living water and find life. Um, in other words, when you make the Bible the king of this whole thing, you miss the actual point, which is having a relationship with Jesus, who is the actual king, who actually has some opinions about your life and wants to walk you through, and has some grace for you and some mercy and all kinds of things, and and can lead you into some cool stuff that can actually impact and change the world. Um, there are so many things that the Bible talks about that are important and rereading it is not one of the Bible is not one of the things the Bible says. Like there's not a verse that, that says thou shalt reread me every year. (laughs) That is thine most important work to reread me every year. Please get out thy holy Um, highlighter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and like, like Matt said, you, You know, historically, it's just a really weird statement to make because before the last 300 years or so, most of the people who believed in Jesus could not read at all. And when I say most, I mean like most, most. Like before 300 years ago, very, very, a very small part of the population could actually read. Um, Before that, before we had like the printing press or before we had mass production or or and, and by the way even after the printing press like books were super duper expensive um before by the way like bibles are still too expensive y'all <laughs> like it, like even now bibles are still too expensive but like the the whole thing the idea that everybody had a bible and everybody could read it and access it all the time this is a very new phase in the whole Christian experiment. That's a very new part historically of what is going on. And then you add to that the problem that that the the fact that, that people have, sometimes Christians, sometimes not Christians, have used, manipulated, abused, co-opted the scriptures to get things done that have nothing to do with the way of Jesus at all or anything that he talked about. And And you see that it's just a a complicated problem. Okay, I say all that to say this to you, the question asker, because you asked a really important question. Um, What if I'm tired of the Bible? Take a break. Just take a break from the Bible. Take a break for a while. If you have a relationship with Jesus that matters to you, then um, just pray and ask him to lead you into some cool stuff. See what he's got for you to do. Ask him how you could serve somebody or make an impact, but just take a break from the scriptures for a while. And I realize that not a lot of pastors might say that to you, but I'm one and I'm saying it. It's fine. Totally fine. Take a break. And then if you find that you want to dip your toe back in the water of the scriptures, try a completely different medium. Like try a totally different kind of thing. Don't read the Bible that you've always read your whole life. Um, Maybe try listening to it. Try listening to some music that was based on some, some scriptures. You know, the, like the, the guys on this podcast and associated with this podcast for a long time have made a whole lot of music based on a whole lot of scripture. Um, you could find a playlist of it on Spotify. And um, you, could, you could find completely different mediums to engage the scriptures. Um, there's a company... There's a, a publishing company called, uh, the, I, I can't remember ex- actually what the publishing company is, but they made a book called Alabaster, and it's like different books of the Bible presented in a completely different way without like the chapter and the verses in there with like really high production printing and and beautiful photography and stuff like that. And for a lot of folks, that's been a really, really cool way for them to engage the Scriptures. It just changes the whole medium. So look for a different medium. With which to engage the scriptures or read the message or listen to the message or whatever. But but principally right now, take a break and get rid of all the shame that might be associated with that. And then at some point along the line, if you feel like you're ready to re-engage, try a completely different medium. I think that I think getting rid of the shame and getting rid of this idea that the whole point of the thing is just to read and read and reread the Bible, let's let's cancel all of that. Let's find just Engage your relationship with Jesus. Find out what he might have for you to do to change the world and make it a better place. Find out who you can serve and who you can help. And then if you feel like getting involved and engaging in the scriptures again, try a completely different medium and see what
1: happens.
0: I think that's all fantastic stuff. A great place to start that off. And Jed, where would we take it from there?
1: Obviously, I mean, I definitely agree with everything that Lee said, like with um, whoever our mysterious celebrity pastor person is like, dude, it's extremely, extremely difficult to find any scriptural backing for the idea that you're putting out there. And it's extremely easy to find a lot of scriptural backing for it not being the case. So there's there's that. I think maybe you should reread that book again, because I think you might have missed some things. But it might be the most important thing you could do. <laughs> uh, there, there's a few principles that I think are important that kind of help to, to, to figure out what to do with, with this and other stuff like it. Here's the first one is you can overdo anything like literally like there, there are no activities that are immune to overdoing. You can overdo literally anything. You, you can literally drink too much water. You, you can overdo anything. So every, at least in this life, man, everything um, is only healthy in a certain proportion. Uh, and there, and there's not any exceptions to that. Like you may know, right. So it's an interesting example, which is in the Bible, uh, that Jesus critiqued certain approaches to prayer. If there were anything that we should think, oh, it would be, it would be good in, at at all times and all ways with no exceptions. No, it turns out there's messed up ways to pray that are not cool. And you, you shouldn't do that. Right. So the idea that like, there's this one thing and that always, no matter what, you can always do that. And you should always do that. I mean, that's just not true. It's not true. Biblically. It's not true in life. The second thing to be wary of is when someone is communicating to you, my hobby is morally correct, because Mm -hmm. that's a big part of what's going on here is there are of people who attend church in the United States, there is a certain fixed percentage where their hobby is reading the Bible. They just love learning them some Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, One of my hobbies is cooking. I think it's great. I don't think it's morally correct. I don't think I'm a better person because I cook. And I don't think you're a worse person if you don't cook. I just like it. But there are a lot of folks who really want to believe that their hobby is the morally correct hobby. There are not morally correct hobbies, including being super into nerding out on the Bible. It's, it's not a morally correct hobby. Like if you're into it and you enjoy it, that's great. If it yields a benefit in your life, that's awesome. But it is not an intrinsically morally correct hobby that other people are deficient if they don't share your passion. That's, that's just not how life works, man. The next dynamic to look at is there are all kinds of subject matter experts, some of which all of us should be consulting with on a semi regular basis, who are going to advise us to do things, right? It's like, hopefully you get to see your general practitioner, you know, once a year or so. And they may say to you, hey, it would be good for you to, you know, to take a walk regularly. It's, it's really good for your health. Maybe you might see a person that helps to advise how you think about money, and they might say, well, hey, it's it's good for you to you know set some money aside for a rainy day, etc.
0: Please stop buying Bibles. You have so many, and they're so expensive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so when someone says, thing XYZ is a good thing that I hope is present in your life, whether it's reading the Bible or going for a walk or putting some money in savings or whatever else, one of the most important questions you should ask is, Okay, how much of that is enough? Like, what is the amount of that that I am looking for? And you should be very wary when the response to that is more. However much you're doing, do more, because that's intrinsically bad advice. It's intrinsically manipulative advice, and it betrays a person who either doesn't understand how life works or is just on a weird agenda. We started in my segment with the idea that you can overdo anything. You can overdo walking. You absolutely can. If you're not sure, go out and try and walk 20 miles. See how it goes. You will not feel good at the end of that. You can overdo saving money. I promise you, you can. You can overdo reading water, and you can definitely overdo reading the Bible. It's an interesting question for our mystery uh, celebrity pastor. How many hours a day should I do? 10? 12? 14? Like, my kids have needs, but should I ignore them so that I can do more time reading the Bible? Like, should I should I just quit my job so that I can read the Bible all day? Like, how much sleep is okay? Because, like, currently I'm getting seven hours, but maybe if I cut it down to four, I could get three more hours of reading the Bible. Oh, is that not what you meant? Is this all you just trying to appear to be hardcore because that's part of your brand is actually you're just, like, a celebrity influencer and you want people to think you're hardcore about the Bible because that's, that's a life decision you can make, but that's actually not a pastor, a pastor and a celebrity influencer are two different things. And I think that's part of the trouble that we're getting in here is murky, murky, murky water where a dude who has the title of pastor is actually trying to be a celebrity influencer. And he's giving bad advice because he's trying to appear to be hardcore as a branding thing rather than, counseling people on how to live an effective Christian life. One more thing. There's a ton of people that know the Bible inside and out and don't believe a word of it. Yeah. I want you to think about that. One of the commonly held misbeliefs of a lot of Christians is if you read the Bible enough, as though through an osmotic membrane, it will just seep into your brain and make you more moral and more righteous and more Jesus-loving. That is demonstrably not true. It's really a bonkers idea. It's also demonstrably not true. There are so many people who know the Bible and don't like it and don't believe it and are not prepared to in any way act on it. If you can dig it, most people who would describe themselves as possessing no religious faith on average know the Bible better than most people who would describe themselves as Christians. (laughs) <laughs> that is something for you to ponder and consider. I want to land on, on, where, on where Lee left off. Dude, if you're a person who loves Jesus and you're a Christian and you want the Bible to have a role in your life, but you're just not feeling it, take a break and do something else. It's cool. We love you. God loves you. All that, all that guilt about how much Bible you need in your life, set all that aside, man. Live your life. Love people. Let the Bible be a resource in your life, but get rid of that guilt.
0: Absolutely right. A lot of great stuff there. Um, a couple of things I'll attack on the end here to kind of uh, follow on the vibe that these guys laid down. One is this there's a bit of an irony in and this comes into the celebrity influencer thing, because one of the things that is in the Bible, which is pretty simply understated, understood is a really great idea is if you are someone who follows Jesus, you should not be conformed anymore to the patterns of this world. And let uh-huh. me tell you, friend, there is nothing more conformed to the pattern of 2023 America than going on Twitter and saying, this is the most important thing. Yep. Right. It could just be good. You could have the opinion of like, I, you know, I personally read the Bible every year, read all the way through it. I get a lot out of it. You might consider it. Nope. Then that's it's the most important thing someone can do. (laughs) That is you're a loser. If you don't for, you know, someone of a faith tradition who, you know, for the last 20, 30 years has been banging on about, uh, being conformed to the pattern of the world and moral relativism. There is nothing more conforming to the pattern of the world than taking your weird <laughs> thing and trying to make everyone else feel bad that it's not their main thing, whether it's a Marvel movie or a book you like or a band you're into or the Bible. Cause when you do this, you're just putting the Bible in the context of those other cultural markers. percent. That's 100%. not helpful. Also, here'd be a fun question. You know, when I'm not reading the Bible, When I'm driving to church, sitting in church and driving home, it feels like this took three hours of good Bible reading time out of my week. Maybe I can cut that (laughs) out right there. What do we think of that, pastor, whatever your name is? Because they don't mean it. They're just saying the things you say to get a lot of Twitter
2: engagement. I'd like to serve the poor, but I was too busy reading the Bible. (laughs) That's right.
0: People who... There were people in Jesus' time who actually kind of did that, and he wasn't on their side, friends. Yeah. I need you to understand that. The other part of this is, I think, for people who grow up in the church and grow up even in just kind of Western culture, there is an idea about the Bible, which is that the book itself is magic. Yep. You know, they... It is satanic to rip a page out of it, and they the, that's been part of every satanic panic from the 80s on through to, like, QAnon stuff today of, oh, they rip pages out of the Bible or whatever. We have one in our house, and it's a talisman.
2: Yeah, and there's the personal pronoun associated with it at, in, in church culture, too. Have you been reading your Bible? Yes. That's a thing. I, well, I haven't been reading my Bible. That's like a—it's a, it's an odd little thing that goes with that.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, it's not magic. I, I I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. I believe that the, the concepts, the ideas that are being communicated through that book are part of a way that a loving God supernaturally communicates with us. But here's the thing. It's not the, the only one might not even be the main one for some of us. And it's certainly not a thing where to read this book over and over again is some kind of magic spell that protects you from bad things or is some kind of incantation. Again, sometimes this particularly happens with our reformed brethren. Sometimes you go so far into Protestantism, you come back into witchcraft and that's (laughs) maybe when you've overcooked it just a little bit. We move on to our final question here. It comes in and says Romans two five says that because of your stubborn because of stubbornness, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. That sounds bad. What can I do about that? And here in Thank You Question Asker, we have a good example of plainly and honestly interacting with something the Bible says, which is what? a healthy way to interact with that book. Not a magic spell. You read something, you say, hmm, this says the phrase God's wrath twice in about <laughs> 15 words. I would like not that. So what can I do about that? And a great question. Lee, where'd we kick off?
2: This is going to be a funny answer based on everything we just said for the last 10, 12 minutes. Uh, just keep reading like for like four more minutes. Yeah
0: hopefully that's not the moment where you listen to you were in the middle of that verse listen to the last question be like oh thank thank god they said that this is the last verse i can read all year i've had enough <laughs> that's right
2: yeah so i'm not saying the most important thing you should do this year is reread the entire bible i am saying if you are freaked out by what romans chapter 2 says in any way keep reading for about 4 more minutes yeah. because you are on the cusp of some very good news um, the way that that the apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to a group of Christians in a city that he had he he had never been there and he had never met them, um, but he wanted to go there and he wanted to meet them. And before the the reason he wrote this letter was to say, I really really want to come meet you guys. I've heard about you. You sound like rock stars. Um, before I get there, I just want to make sure we're on the same page about the the core message that we have. So let me give you my, the message that I give everywhere I go. And so he says, it's incredibly good news and it has the power to change lives, like literally change lives. Before I get to the good news, let me give the bad news about the human situation. So that's what he does. So from the middle of Romans chapter one, what we call Romans chapter one, to what we, to the middle of the third chapter of what we call Romans chapter three, he gives kind of the bad news of the human situation. And when you look around at humanity, it makes a lot of sense. All the stuff that he says, and so what you're talking about is right in the middle of the bad news. Here's the bad news: because of the how awful people have been, there is the 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 wrath of God is coming to end. And you're like, whoa! When you keep reading, what he gets to in the basically towards the middle end of of the third, what we call the third chapter of of Romans, he says, here's the really really good news. Anybody that wants it, anybody that wants it at all, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad they think they've been, no matter how awful you think your past was or has been, or no matter how bad you think you are, Jesus will literally forgive all of it. You can actually start over with God. Your record will be completely, completely cleaned with him and you get to start over with a brand new heart, a brand new clean record. And you never have to you don't have to clean yourself up, you don't have to make promises that you're going to be amazing or that you're going to you're going to turn your life around. You don't have to demonstrate your commitment to this thing at all. You literally just get to start over. That's the good news for you. I hope that by the time that you heard this episode um and I'm so glad you wrote the question in. It's It is an absolute joy to be able to tell this to you. But I hope that by the time you wrote this episode in or or listened to the episode, that maybe somebody else in your life told you that fantastic news, that you literally can just ask Jesus, hey, there's some stuff in my life that I regret. There's some things that I feel bad about, that I feel some shame about. Um, Would you forgive me and can I start over? And he would say to you and is saying to you, absolutely. You don't have to do anything. I'll pay for the whole thing. I'll pick up the entire check myself. And you don't have to promise to be good or anything. We literally can start over from this moment. Um, just like that. It's good news. You get out of the wrath forever. It's completely free, and you don't have to pay for it or make any promises or changes in any way. So, um, yeah, you can just start over. That's the good news.
0: And good news it is. Jed, where we close this one out?
1: It's great stuff, man. So just like Lee said, you know, this is, this is one verse in the flow of a much larger story, a much larger argument. Um, interestingly, by the way, similar to with our first question today, we're like, Jesus is talking about bearing fruit and it's in the context of how to evaluate religious leaders. The particular verse about the storing up wrath is actually in a, second, in a section talking about judging other people. So yeah. like if you, you know, if, if you have a, a wrath related concern, don't judge other people. I mean, that's that's just good advice generally. Like wrath or not, it's it it doesn't work out well when we judge others, so we don't we don't have to deal with that. But um to to go right along what Lee is saying, so uh, one thing with kind of literary theory is that uh, most stories have what people refer to as in the all is lost moment. And that's like the the darkest, worstest moment in the story where the hero is the farthest uh, they will ever be away from their goal. But we kind of have to get there so that we can build towards, you know, the happy ending that, that occurs later on. Th- this is the all is lost moment in, in Paul's argument. Like, it's, it's on purpose. It's supposed to you're supposed to read it and go, oh, no, like that's that, that's it. That, that's on purpose. Right. That's you know, that's 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 good. But again, it's a part of a larger argument that lands on everything that Lee said, that lands on, but now our righteousness apart, you know, has been made known. But here's the key thing. If if you're asking this question, I think you're asking because you're worried. I think you're asking because you have concerns. I, I want you to hear me. God is not angry at you. Come on now. God is not angry at you. God is not angry at you. I don't care what Bible verse you've read. God is not angry at you. God is not looking down on you. I don't care what sermon you've heard. God is not looking down on you. God is not condemning you. I don't care what your auntie on Facebook told you. God is not condemning you. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. God is not condemning you. God is not angry at you. God is not looking down on you. If there is one thing that I believe, it is that God loves you. If you are listening to this right now, this applies to you with no provisos and no limitations and no exceptions. God loves you. The end. If you're wondering where the Bible lands, that's where it lands. God loves you. In it, God wants you to have a really amazing life, and He wants to be just like Lee was saying. He wants to be a team with you, and the two of you figure that out together. And as someone who has been living that kind of life for a while, like it, I recommend it. It's if you're unsure, it's it's pretty cool. I definitely um, five stars, baby. I would I would definitely look into it. <laughs> um, but. You, If you're not sure about that, that's cool. What I hope you can consider first is just God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He is not angry at you. He's not looking down on you. He's not condemning you. Anybody, anything, any sermon, any book, any whatever that's told you otherwise is wrong. Full stop. Mm. Yeah, maybe you heard it wrong. Maybe you're right wrong. Whatever. It doesn't matter. God loves you. There, there is nothing that you will ever do or think or encounter or experience that will change that fundamental reality. If you're wondering, people say there's, you know, the only thing certain in life are, are death and taxes. Well, rich people prove that taxes are not certain. And uh, right. death actually is pretty variable depending on your means. The one certain thing in life is that God loves you. We can learn more literary criticism. We can learn more Bible. Maybe we'll read the Bible a million times year after year. The one thing that will not change no matter what is that God loves you. If you remember nothing else from this episode, remember that God loves you.
0: That is beautifully put, and I would like to tack on. uh, Suck on that, Ben Franklin. You've been (laughs) won up by dead in the aphorism (laughs) departments. How does it taste? Uh, yes. So, a, a bunch of great stuff by these guys. The one thing I will throw on the end here is, and it kind of goes back to the other question. You know, Lee mentioned those weird kind of Christianese phrases around the Bible. If you use them like, my Bible and have you been reading your Bible and what well, my Bible says and da And it's all sometimes it's perfectly anodyne. Sometimes it's got a little, a lot meant to have a little sting on it. Another one of those I've never. But having a conversation with someone who actually cared about me, who was trying to make a point or heard someone from a pulpit who was making an insightful uh, statement that was going to help my life, who started his sentence with, well, the Bible says, you might hear, well, this verse says, and here's some context, but when someone says, well, the Bible says, they're often about to say something pretty awful or take something yep. isolated into some intensity. And at that time, there's nothing more freeing than quoting uh, Clancy Wiggum at them and just saying, eh, the Bible says a lot of things. <laughs> because it is a big book. It is a means of communication. But the overall story is exactly what Jed and Lee lined out there. So when someone pulls something out and yeah. says, aha, but this, and it says a lot of stuff. And it all points towards <laughs> this part. So I'm fine with it. You're well within your right to do that. It kind of goes back to the previous question again, where Jed was pointing out that this weird idea that some people have of if you just read the Bible enough or just fully understood it, you would agree with him about anything. That's eh, not the way anything works. The, yep. f- the f- One of the positives of living in a time where we all have access, we have access to the scriptures well translated by professionals and smart people in our own language is we can look it up. We can go to sources we trust who have spoken into our lives and say, eh, it seems like you're trying to get away with something with this isolated bit. So no, just because someone says the Bible says this and that doesn't mean you have to give it. You can totally disregard a person's opinion about the Bible without disregarding the Bible. Funny how that works and very handy as well. A lot of great stuff from these guys and all these questions. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, take out the song this week. This is from the pool house guru. This is based on 2 Corinthians 317. Take out that. Thanks for listening to this one. We love you. God loves you. There's nothing
3: you can do about it.